Well, we are in a series on Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. And we've been in a series called Deliverance. And as you heard before, we, we heard Brother Robert sharing his story of deliverance. We've been looking at the story of God's people's deliverance from Egypt. And without too much background, let's just read the text. I want you to know that we have a Bible for you in a translation that is clear. It's clear, it's simple, but it's faithful, it's a good version. So if you don't have a Bible like that in your house, please take one. They're on the back table back there. It's the same translation that is going to be up on the screen behind me. So I'm going to read where we are continuing on in chapter 19, and I'm just going to read seven verses. We're just preaching from seven verses. Um, I know that you guys all enjoy it when I preach from like three chapters. Don't worry. I'll do it next week. I think it's like five chapters next week. But uh, we're going to slow down. Actually, actually, it's going to be Dylan. He's going to be preaching the Ten Commandments. Yeah. All right. Exodus 19, starting verse 1. On the third day, in the third month from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to Sinai wilderness. They traveled from Rephidim, came to the Sinai wilderness, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. Moses went up to the mountain to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. And you will be a kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. And after Moses came back, he summoned the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. It's the word of the Lord. I'm hot, but I'm going to drink more coffee. Father God, as we open up this word, as we have just heard these words that you directed Moses to write down so long ago, Lord, write them in our hearts tonight, work in us, wake us up, help us to learn from you, help us to see what you want us to see. Lord, we pray, Father, that you would just be with us tonight, that we would walk out of here saying that you spoke that you spoke, and that we are better for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it took three months to this mountain. Three months to this mountain. So they were delivered from Egypt, got up to the Red Sea, 
And last week, or actually it was a couple weeks ago, because we had Pastor Steve preaching last week about the parable of the lost son. But before that, I was preaching about how God split the sea and allowed his people to go through, but the Egyptian army were destroyed in the sea. And God says here to Moses, I carried you on eagle's wings, and I brought you to myself. This calls back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. Remember, that was a, that was a bunch of weeks ago when Moses went up the mountain to, and saw the burning bush. And back in Exodus 3, so many chapters ago and a, a bunch of weeks ago, God told Moses, I am going to have you bring my people here. Now, that must have felt like and seemed like a crazy thing. Now, it must have been crazy enough that God was saying this to Moses in a way he could hear it from a bush that was on fire but never got consumed. But even when God shows up and it's clear and you know it's God and you know it's not yourself, well, God will just say some stuff and you'll be like, there's no way that's happening. Moses wandered around the desert for 40 years. For 40 years. For 40 years, Moses wandered around the desert. He married Jethro's daughter, Zipporah. Jethro was the Midianite priest. Remember the pagan priest who the way they worshipped their gods was to enjoy prostitutes and, ha and just party? So Moses is about as far away from God as you can be. He's in the middle of the desert, in the wilderness, married to the wrong people. And the reason that he was hiding in the middle of nowhere is because the last time he was with his people in Egypt where they were slaves, he killed a dude and buried him in the sand. And he knew if he would go back, Pharaoh would kill him. And now all of a sudden God's telling him, hey, you're going to go and you're not only going to go talk to Pharaoh, which is enough of a step of faith, but you're going to tell him that you need all of my people to leave. And not only that, these people are going to meet me at the foot of this mountain that I'm speaking to you right now. What can we, what can we get from this? The first thing that I want you to hear, I want you to see, is that you cannot lead people to a place you haven't been. The reason Moses was able to lead people to the mountain of God was because he had been there himself. The reason that he was able to shepherd the 600,000 men besides women and children was because he spent 40 years shepherding goats and sheep in the wilderness. And it, it, it can seem like you're in a situation in life where it seems like everything you're doing, you're just, the, the, the wheels are spinning. <laughs> you're not going anywhere. But God had a plan that whole time. And we're not talking about like a couple years he had to wait out. Like a lifetime. 
40 years is a long time. It's a long time to wait for somebody that you love that's screwing up so bad, and you're waiting for four decades for them to turn around. It's a long time to be waiting for your purpose, to be waiting for a sense of God's power in your life. It's a long time to just be sitting, and yet God had him sit there. And he met him on this lonely mountain, in this lonely place in the wilderness. You know, this goes beyond just the normal things. This, this goes into everyday life. Look, I can help you out if you've got dysfunctional family issue stuff. You know why? Because <laughs> I got some. <laughs> I can help you out. You've been depressed. You know why? Because I've been diagnosed with major clinical reoccurring depression. I can, I can help you out in the wilderness. Of not being sure what you think about God. Being hurt. Because I've been there. But. If you're looking for somebody to help you out to amass a fortune or to sculpt your body, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not the guy. <laughs> All right? Don't, I, I cannot lead you where I have not been. I can't, and, and, and I want you to know this. Don't be looking to people for guidance who have no business guiding anybody. Don't, don't be looking for God. Like, you ever been around somebody like, um, you know, first time ever they've been sober for a week, and it's like, let me teach you all about life, son. <laughs> I've got, I know everything, <laughs> right? Like, that's ridiculous. You need to go and find people who have lived a life where they have walked through some waters, and yet they've come to the other side. They've been through the Red Sea. They know what it's like to be at the wilderness, and they've come up to the mountain of God, and they've heard the voice of God. This passage right here has been called the heart of the Old Testament. The heart of, this just describes the, the Old Testament, this is why we're only looking at these seven verses instead of you know, six chapters like we normally do. It says here in verse 4, You seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you carefully listen to me and keep my covenant... You will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. I want you to notice something really important because we have ears that like to hear things and like to go deep into guilt automatically. So when we hear that passage, the thing that some of us hear is fully obey <laughs> and then we're done. We're like done with that passage. 
because you're like, I can't sign up for the fully obey stuff. <laughs> Amen? But what it doesn't say, this is what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, if you fully obey me while you're stuck as slaves in Egypt, I will carry you out on eagle's wings. It's not what it says. It's not what it says. Next week, Dylan's going to preach on the Ten Commandments. And how do the Ten Commandments start? They say, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the house of bondage in Egypt. Before God sets forth, hey, this is how you ought to live. This is how you ought to be new. This is how you ought to act out your salvation. God first saves you when you weren't looking for him, when you weren't trying anything, when you were, in fact, running away from him. So God swooped down like an eagle and plucked out the slaves of Egypt, and he took them out, and he took care of the Egyptian army. He took care of the Red Sea, and he brought them to his mountain, and now he's saying, look, I've done all that. Now I'm going to tell you how to live. God delivers us first. He delivers us first. Then he reveals who he is. In other words, you can't impress God. You're not going to impress God. You're not going to be good enough. You're not going to work hard enough. You need to cry out to God for mercy. But what does this mean? Because it does say that if you fully obey me and now we have moved we are saved we are delivered we've experienced what rob was talking about living in the abandoniniums i do love that word by the way thank you so much for giving me that gift <laughs> now what now what now follow god now live for him and what does it mean that you would become as it says in verse 4, his personal possession, something that is owned by you, God owns, and yet he owns all the earth, and yet some special way he owns you. First of all, what it means is that we can't enjoy God's fellowship. We can't enjoy God's relationship when we are living in sin. Doesn't mean that he writes us off. Doesn't mean he didn't deliver us. But we aren't enjoying it. And maybe you've heard me share this story before, but it's like, now my wife would never do this. She's the sweetest person. And I feel bad sharing this story because she's not even here right now. But say she came home really late one night, drunk as a skunk, and smelling like cologne. Right? And, um, you know, I'm... Wondering, like, what does this mean? You know? Say, I, I put on a pot of coffee, pull out some donuts. Be like, you, you, yeah, I mean, we got the kids here. Otherwise, I'd be in some apartment somewhere. But, yeah, you're going to be down here. <laughs> you mean being in, you're not going to be in the room, right? You're not going to be in the room. 
got to talk about this when you sober up. This might change everything. But, you know, I put the coffee out, put the donuts out. Been with her for so many years. Then say she comes up and she still totally just destroyed drunk, tries to give me a kiss. Am I going to give her a kiss that moment? Smelling like cologne, drunk as a skunk? No. I'm going to walk back. And what I'm saying is, is that when we choose to live in sin, when we choose to live in doubt, when we choose to say that, you know what, God's ways are the ways to real happiness, but I'm going to do it my own way. Even though I've tried it before, it's bondage, it sucks, and I'm depressed, and it doesn't work for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. When we go up and try to get a hug from God, he's not hugging us back in our sin. What you do matters. How you treat people matters. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Be gentle. If you don't, your prayers will be hindered. In other words, when you're not bringing flowers, but you're hurting your wife with your words, with your hands, God don't want to talk to you. And it's not just for guys. <laughs> and it's not just married people. How we treat each other, how we live. When we live for ourselves and we live like, well, you know, the Bible's very clear. What you plant, you're going to harvest. You're a selfish jerk all the time. Guess what? Your life's going to be miserable. But there's another aspect here that I want you to see. Here's this promise, and it's the last piece. It says, you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. I want you to know that the Bible teaches in the Old Testament and the New Testament that we are all priests, lowercase p. Every single one of us, if we have a connection to God through Jesus, we are able to bless people, pray for people, intercede for people. This is what the priest's job was. The priest's job was to represent God and to represent people. Now, the prophets... They were just straight to represent God. The prophet's job was to just, you know, what I was just doing for the last three minutes, telling you, you all selfish jerks, because I'm one too, right? The prophet's job is to bring you to God's court, <laughs> into the courtroom, and tell you, change. You got to change. But the priest's job is different. The priest's job is to come alongside you in your mess and pray with you. And represents you to God. Abraham was acting like a priest when he prayed. And he said, don't destroy these towns. If you've got like 50 good people in these towns. If you've, okay, maybe there's not 50. If you've got 40 people in these towns. As priests, we say, God, bless Gloucester City. Help abandoned houses and abandoned storefronts become habited houses and storefronts with thriving businesses. Lord, do it, not because 
we've got all our stuff together, not because there ain't a whole lot of favoritism, not because there ain't corruption, not because everything's great, okay? No, we know not everything's great. But forgive us. That's the job of a priest. But, it's, but when you blatantly live in the pig pen, you have a hard time praying. You have a hard time being priest on your block, at your job, in your family. And God wants you to be there. He wants you to be salt and light. He wants you to be priests who represent him every place he puts you. He wants you to be a blessing. Like Elaine, he wants you to be a blessing, right, with all those kids. And, he, and you have been, right? Like you're, you're playing priest. When they come and they're eating the food and you're giving them like just a safe spot to be, a place to rest and be away from the drama or whatever's going on in their own places. That's what we are all called to do. We are all called to be priests of God. We are a kingdom of priests. That's why he saved us. Now, I just want to close with this more technical thing here. You see this word covenant. You see it in uh, verse 5. Now, if you carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. What is this word covenant even all about? If you read the Bible and you don't have the opportunity to just, you know, study it and look at the culture and you're just reading it by yourself, sometimes the Bible can feel like a bunch of random stories and you don't know how they fit together. But this idea of covenant goes back to the culture and there's this this is something that we haven't known until the last like 50 years so 50 years ago we discovered um, these artifacts and these writings in the area around this time called the Caesarine Covenant and what you have is you'd have two kings and you'd have one king who was like the boss king and you'd have another king representing the people who just got beat up and conquered. And the boss king would cut a covenant with the weaker king. And if you go back to Genesis, you'll see that God actually did this with Abraham. So there's this dream that Abraham has. And if you read it, you're like, Abraham, was he doing like some acid that night? Like what is going on? Because he falls asleep in the desert and then he sees God himself, and he sees God in the form of smoke and these two pots. And God had instructed him to cut these animals in half, which is really gory, right? Like the bird and the lamb and all this stuff. And then you were supposed to place the animals on one side, you know, the one half goes on this side, and the other half goes on that side. I grew up with, like, redneck cousins who, like, deer up and then they thought it was a great idea to like bring me along and drop the carcass on me and stuff so I'm very desensitized to this stuff but I know not all of you are so anyway so there's these two two animal carcasses on either side and then 
This is what Abraham sees in his vision. The pots and the smoke walk through these cut-up animals. This was literally the cutting of the covenant. And this is the first time we see this word covenant in the Bible is in this verse here in Exodus 19.5. And so it's only been recently that Bible scholars and people who know history and like been looking at this have been able to make these connections. But what's amazing is, is that what God was doing here was saying, I am going to make your people prosperous. He says, Abraham, look up in the sky. You see all the stars? You ever been out in the country? And looked at stars, you know, West Stepford don't count. Like, like Pinelands or something, you know what I mean? Like really out in the country, right? Can you count the stars? No. He says, your descendants are going to be like the stars. And then he walks through, but he doesn't make Abraham walk through. And the whole entire picture of this is that I am going to do this for you. And if the covenant is broken, let me be cut in two like these animals. Basically, covenant was, you know, a Bronze Age version of, you know, was that when you cut somebody's hand and then you shake hands? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's what it was. That's what it was. So you cut these animals and you... You'd walk through, but usually you'd have the subjugated king walk through. But God is the conquering king. God is the powerful one. He walks through the animals. And then he says here that if you keep my covenant, you'll be my people. That you'll be a kingdom of priests. But we know what happens. Because they do the same thing that you and I would do. They don't, they do not keep the covenant. They don't. We're going to learn about the covenant, the specific law that God gives them in the Ten Commandments next week. Guess what? They don't do it. And guess what? Who pays the penalty for God's people? God. He sends his son to be like those animals. He puts them on the cross. And he dies because we couldn't keep the covenant for the salvation of our soul, for our deliverance. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for this word. Thank you for this scripture. Lord, bless us, guide us. Lord, as we continue in this book of Exodus, I pray, Lord, that we would learn more and more about you. Lord, thank you, God, that we have this old covenant, which is a a picture of the promise you gave to Abraham, how your descendants would be unaccountable. <laughs> Lord, but we pray, Father, that we would understand and fully enjoy the promises of the new covenant where you have done everything for us, that you died in our place, that you have not just written your law on stone tablets, but you have written your law in our hearts that you have changed the way we feel about you, that you've changed the way we, we want to live. And we just thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.